Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Values and Vino podcast. If you follow me on social media, you know that I'm a member of the Alder organization that focuses on generational leadership and operates under values that are aligned with my own. Well, in this episode, I have the privilege of chatting with Alder's CEO, Michael P. Davidson, a.k.a. MPD. You'll get to drop in as we chat about personal responsibility, share stories about his wife, Jenny, and the new Avengers. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the amazingness. This is the Values and Vino podcast where we believe that shared values bring people together and values misalignment can keep people apart from one another, including themselves. So we'll be here discussing what values are, how people can discover their values, and how we all can live within those values personally and professionally. Did I mention there may be some wine drinking? If you love values or wine as much as we do, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review. Without further ado, enjoy this episode of the Values and Vino podcast. MPD's in the house. Yeah. Hello. Do people call you MPD or like they just call you Michael? Uh, I get it all. I get Mike, Michael, Miguel, Miguelito, and uh, MPD. Um, I, I, when I first met you in person, cause we actually had conversations before that and we met in person, there's like something there. I was looking at you and I was like, he's got some hood in him for sure. <laughs> some swagger. Sorry, I, I, hey, I, I just felt, I, what I, I just, I just felt like if I were going to get in a fight, I would make sure you were there. Wow. Well, thank you for that. That means a lot to me. I am a. You know, I'm um, what is it called? A reluctant warrior. So, but I, I won't. I would not be a, uh, afraid of throwing a punch in your defense or honor, <laughs> Katrina. Just so you, so you know that. I know that might be taboo to say nowadays. I hope that's. Uh, I hope that's tolerable by your audience. Oh, it's fine. I'm sure. So, welcome to the show. I'm so glad we were um, able to do this. Um, for our audience who don't know who you are, you are the CEO of Alder, which is a cult. I mean, organization. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> organization that I've been in um, since last year, and it's been an incredible journey for me. Just meeting so many amazing people and getting to do some fun things together. Um, and so, I think before we dive into everything, that everything. is. That is Alder. Um, we need to try this wine out first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Good. So um, we have a Behringer Knights Valley Cabernet Sauvignon, and it's a 2018. Mm, it's a good vintage, I've heard. You've heard? Yeah. <laughs> Who'd you hear that from? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just sounded like a nice thing to say. Sounded very sophisticated. Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, is it all wine vintage to like some capacity? Yeah, I think so. I don't understand a lot of the the nomenclature, but here we are. I don't either. I don't either. All right, let me make sure we get our cheers. Hey, okay, ready? All right. Cheers. Salud. I love it. You know, I started drinking this. I know you're not supposed to drink before the cheers, <laughs> but I, I did start drinking this. I just needed to get the edge off before we, before we had this conversation. Oh, I, really? Are you nervous? All the stuff you do? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I just, I just literally witnessed you crush it on stage in Park City last month. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. How, how long did it take for you to like rehearse all that? Uh, a while. Yeah. I mean, yes. you did it you did it very well. I I've done a TED a TEDx and just memorizing 16 minutes of content was super nerve-wracking. Yeah. It was a lot. But it was also um a vulnerability on uh stage. So it it came with a message and uh emotion. So it's a lot. It was a big moment. So thank you for saying that. It means a lot to me. Especially yeah. from you, you're a, you're a friendly but tough crowd. No, so yes. I, you have standards, and I appreciate that. I do, and I came up to you after, and I was like, yes. "Hey, bro, that was really good, even for me." <laughs> even for me, I appreciate. It. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like I, I, you don't know what it's like until you've gone up there and, and have had to do it. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. If you, if you watch, I mean, if you watch my TEDx, I, I speak very slowly because I don't want to like forget what I'm going to say. And I speak slowly because when I'm nervous, I speak really fast. Yeah, I'm like that. Yeah. Anyway, share with our audience how you got like, what is Alder from the perspective of the Alderman, which is you? And how did you get involved with it 13 years ago? Oh, shoot. Um, I think I've, I've been, at least for as, as long as I can remember, I've been a really idealistic, um, person, but you know, you want to work, put the work behind the idealism to kind of bring, help bring it to life. And I think that that's been a big, that's been a big part of who I am for as long as I can remember. And so I, when I met the founders of, um, what's now Alder, uh, they were just these like super accomplished, successful entrepreneurs who, um, wanted to make themselves and the country better. And so, you know, put us in a position where we could tackle big ideas, put us in a position where our best and brightest are informed, um, committed to a level of sort of character and human flourishing and freedom. And so they were kind of doing the work. And I thought, wow, if these people who are have lived tough lives, who've overcome a lot, who are wildly talented and accomplished, have a heck of a lot of influence, are willing to be on a journey of kind of self-mastery and understanding what makes free societies and free people work, then I want to get on board with that. And so I, so it was the earliest days, there were just maybe a handful of these entrepreneurs, executives, and I had never been around people like that. So there was also that sort of mystique to me, like, wow, you know, I've never been around people with money, um, people who are accomplished like in that way. And, um, and so I was just really taken by the level of sort of depth and commitment and soulfulness that um, that they brought to it. So I was really inspired by that. I also had been around social entrepreneurship quite a bit. And so everything ranging from 
um, youth politics, um, community service, and everything ranging from working with kids in the Children's Hospital of Oakland to uh, homelessness to any number of issues, but also um, really interested in foreign affairs and seeing that they're like, they're big challenges in the world and big challenges need deep, informed and talented people. And so I always was struck by how much in, in some of these environments of do-gooders, I would say, um, you get a lot of, you do have the do-gooders, but it seemed like it was starting to rise to be not so much these kind of citizen leaders. It seemed like it started to become hijacked by either um, activists who are kind of maybe narrow in scope, really hardcore, more outraged than just sort of pure activism. So I'd say I was an activist too. I still am. But like just this hardcore kind of outrage and division. Um, and, and Or you had this other extreme, which was people who were like uh, socialites. They'd go and like cut their check to the dinner and they'd take their picture in front of the American flag and um, have something for their scrapbook. And then they'd kind of go on. There wasn't this sort of sustained... It didn't seem to me that there was this sort of sustained kind of leadership class of people who are accomplished, purposeful, understand what is precious and sacred and, and trying to um, and trying to be a contributor to make society better. And so I meet these people. I had that point of view and it was like, awesome. I'm, I'm on board. I thought I'd do it for a short period of time. Now I've been 17 years into it. Um, and we've been able to meet some incredible human beings and deal with uh, big ideas and, and tackle big problems. But it's certainly a labor of love. What um, did you have to process through or reconcile to take a position like this where there isn't really a large customer market? Um, yeah. You know, and it's kind of new. I mean, I you hear about YPO and these, you know, groups or organizations. But even Alder, I think, is much different than YPO. Um, I don't even consider them competitors to a certain extent um what did you have to reconcile like within or in your life or where were you in your life at that time when they approached you or you were maybe even offered yourself like i could do this mm. oh i think i think one one thing was there was a, I mean, just, I, I think a human journey of self-doubt, you know, like I'm in, you put in this setting of all these like wildly accomplished human beings and, and um, I'm supposed to go be like an entrepreneur and build something that's going to shape their lives in the world. Uh, so that was intimidating. So I think just the self-doubt thing uh, was one part of it. It always is. And then secondly, I also was, I haven't, I haven't talked about this too much, but um I think part of it, I, at, at certain points, I started to become disenchanted with uh, wealth. Like, um, and so I was meeting a lot of people, um, wealthy, powerful people who had no real awareness of um, the, 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 the privilege of inheriting these ideas that um, create opportunity. And I'm thinking of things, everything ranging from democracy to free enterprise, like these types of big ideas. And I'd, I'd meet these really wealthy and accomplished people. And it was like being aware of what makes this place special and how that democracy is, is not a spectator sport. You got to participate and you got to be informed in order to do that. I would meet these wealthy people who were just a lot more consumed with their title, their status. And, and they viewed this like great privilege of living in this country. They viewed this thing as like something they could get to later in life. 
And that made me, it, it really challenged um, me. Like I, I had ambitions to be wealthier and more accomplished and, and by the, in that way. And I thought, man, does that, does money change you? Does money, and, and so it kind of made me concerned about like materialism. And, um, and so that became a, a bit of a challenge for me. I think it was a little bit of a challenge to my worldview at, at the time. Um, and I've kind of worked my way through that, uh, through the course of it all. And I think that you got to have a sense of duty and character in order for freedom to work. And what started as disenchanting, I think, turned into uh, emboldening. I just kind of looked at it from a different point of view. So that was also a big challenge. Like it, it actually challenged my sort of my philosophy. Um, so I guess the personal journey of um, self-doubt being around influential, powerful people and self-doubt around building something sustainable. And then secondly, um, making sure these ideas are that I, that I really believe in deeply are um, consistent and lasting and could be applied in any number of different scenarios. It's interesting you say that. Um, I, I want to ask you, do you think money does change people or do you think money just exacerbates whoever they were to begin yeah, with? Yeah, I, I think it reveals. So I mean, that, that was also a progression for me as I do think it reveals. And so if, if a person is not kind of consistently doing deep work on themselves, you know, what do they stand for? What do they believe? What do they know? Um, then it's easy to be hijacked by abundance. It's easy to be hijacked by options and distractions because um, you, you really got to have your rudder uh, in the right course. So I have I have observed that I think it is it is a lot more of um, a, a catalyst of revelation than it is something that will actually that will change you. Um, I went through like a very interesting situation. I would say um, I was told a fan of a person who has tremendous power and wealth and is just really, I would say, one of the loudest ones in the room when it comes to gender equality. Mm -hmm. And so I finally got to experience this person um, live. And I think had I not known what I know now, um, I would have been disenchanted as well mm -hmm. um, to see like this person of wealth and power operating in a very like low vibrational energy um, of like anger, for example. Oh, yeah. And um, I just had this tremendous amount of inspiration of believing, okay, this person's doing all the things that I want to do, but I could do it better. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so, there's something, and this isn't arrogance, uh, you know, this is just more of, there's so much more work to be done and that there's enough room for all of us to push through and try to make a difference and offer different perspectives. Um, and so I realized, um, although this person has a huge following and, a, you know, a ton of resources, I realized that this person has, is also out of touch and Although they're kind of pointing their finger at privilege, they're they have no awareness of their own privilege. Well, one of the, one of the things I think is remarkable about you is you're not, you know, what the the whole saying of be the change you want to see in the world. You take responsibility for something, and I, I you've always seemed to embody that. And so I'm not surprised that you 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 turn a disappointment into a challenge, 
and take it upon yourself. So I think good kudos to you. Um, I, and I think we just, we need more people like that. It's interesting too, because um, I think we, we live at a time where we're expecting, we're expecting people with privilege to put it on display um, in a, in a strange way, like you muscle, you flex your muscle, take action on any number of issues. Uh, and there's a, you know, a lot of polling on this. Edelman had a poll that was like close to 80% of public company employees expect their CEOs or executives to take positions on issues. And, and so leaders are expected to kind of either pontificate or act on things that I don't even know if they know that they value, um, or they know that they even understand, and so it's an interesting phenomenon that like these people in positions of privilege are expected to be solutions, and but they do it in this kind of like performative, or often I I think it's a per, kind of a performative surface sort of way, and it's not something that is either based off of what's inside them, their soul, their values, or uh, something that they've studied studied really really well. So I'm st- I'm trying to really understand what does it mean to have privilege? Like what are, I don't like the word, I don't like that you're just because you're successful, you're obligated. Like, I don't like the word, I don't like the term give back because I don't, unless you stole, I don't feel like you are cheated. I don't feel like you took anything, but the idea of, but, but still you want people to want to contribute. You want people to want to be good. You want people to want to grow um, and to be better and then to impact the world around them. You don't want to sort of guilt them into it and you don't want them and you don't want to get them to take shortcuts like these sort of performative actions of taking some grand position on things. And so it's an interesting thing when you think about people with positions of power is they have a lot of it, um, especially in a wealthy society like we live in today. Um, but really thinking about, well, what does it mean to be a good steward of that? Is it that you're aware of your privilege? Is it this that? You know, you're because even privilege comes with its own challenges. You know, everybody's on their own kind of human journey of ups and downs. But, you know, what do you what do we want them to do? But maybe it's like none of our business. Maybe it's like, I don't know what it's not. What, what do we want them to do? I think it's maybe just what do what matters in a I go back to the big stuff like, well, what matters in a free society? Because that's what I happen to live in and I'm very grateful for. And so what how must people conduct themselves in a free society? And well, they need to be respectful. They need to be reform informed. They need to know, uh, surround themselves with a, a web of relationships, um, that could help do good things and help one another. Um, they need to know what makes this stuff unique in this period of time and history. Um, but you know, that's also, I, I'm not like the first person saying that everybody from the ancients to the founding fathers to, you know, Teddy Roosevelt and Connolly's rice all said this stuff, but. Um, it's just right now in, in today's world, I feel like we're all searching for meaning and we're searching to be led. And so we're putting a lot of pressure on elites to lead us. Um, and then when you meet these elites, you're really disappointed because they don't have this history of being formed in ideas and being formed in purpose. And so what do, what do we do? Well, we just kind of rise to the occasion and say, oh, okay, I'll be that. Um, I'll be the change I want to see. I'll be the example. I'll embody the values that I, I want to care about. And so you're one of those many examples. I think that we just need more people to do what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and going back to, you know, these people who have corporate power or privilege or whatever you want to call it, um, it's amazing how 
you know, they use all of these strategies to be like who who they've become financially or, you know, in terms of professionally. And then when it comes to social issues, I feel like they abandon everything that they learned on how to build a business or strategize. And so what I'm seeing happening is um, even people who have had financial success they're abandoning all of the strategies that they used to build that business and they're operating, for example, if your goal is to get the white man to support diversity in gender and in race, pointing your finger at them and telling them how evil they are is probably not going to work. Mm. And it's just a bad strategy. And so I feel like they, aban- they they think that if they're standing up and they're shouting and they're saying all of these things, they're not really focused on outcome, like actual outcome. Because if they were, and this isn't everybody, I'm just saying people out there, if they were, they would use strategy. You don't, you know, I'm sitting in a room hearing a person speak and I'm looking around at a bunch of white men who are now looking... You, you've now lost their attention. Yeah. You, uh, one of the things I was thinking was when you said um, that what people used or um, the journey of to success or accomplishment, you know, what did people put to work to get there? Well, they had to build trust. They had to build credibility. They often had to build likability. They had to build value. And so all of those things are like, bridge building exercises. And so when you get to the, when you get to the top, so to speak, you then you should be thinking about other bridges that you could build. And I, I think today you do, it, it sounds to me like one of the things you're, you're, you're speaking to, and I agree with is there is a lot, there's just a lot too much fear, shame, and guilt um, in the, in the world today. And it's not to say that these are not real issues. Like, you know, you mentioned um, gender equality. Like I have two girls, I, I want them to, um, to grow up and be awesome and do and conquer the world. Right. And, um, they have two, I think good examples in people who try to live fully, you know, between like my wife and me and people and you know, my wife and I loving them deeply. And, but I want them to have remove as many obstacles as possible. I also have two boys and I don't want my boys to grow up and be like really self-conscious and uh, sitting on their hands. For example, like at the beginning of the of this of the of our conversation, we made a joke about swagger and throwing a punch. Like I have this, um, like I want my. I, I would hope that my boys would be the type of um, young men. This is controversial. That if they were to come across a Harvey Weinstein, they would deck them. <laughs> and, and fully, right, you know, like, like it, it, you know, assert themselves. Likewise, or I don't know about likewise, but I also would hope that my girls and my sons to, um, to grow up and be the type of people that, that open others up to say like, uh, unless it's like very egregious, like a Harvey Weinstein, but there's people who make stupid comments all the time and they don't really know that that's what, I don't know, maybe they've evolved. Maybe it's something they used to think. Like we're, t- we're, we're getting people fired for things that they said years ago um, and not giving them a chance to be like, you know what? Yeah, I learned. I screwed up. And I don't, I don't think that's helpful. It's very corrosive. It doesn't allow us to come together. You, you know, p- people grow through exposure and they grow through examples. 
um, and they grow through adversity. But if you're constantly sort of pushing back fear, shame, guilt, people will withdraw and those passions will be redirected somewhere else. And we're not going to grow as individuals and we're not going to grow as a people. So I, I 100% agree with what, what you just said. I, I think that if it's really bad, throw the freaking punch. Nine times out of 10, though, build the damn bridge. Right, right. And I, you know, I love that Alder, you know, lives and breathes personal responsibility. Um, and I was, I was watching, I was looking up a YouTube video and um, she's like a new a dietitian, and she kind of breaks down like celebrity diets of basically saying why they're terrible, to be honest. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're interesting to watch. I, I think they're funny. She does a good job. And but at the beginning, Michael, she's just like, disclaimer, if this or talking about weight or food or calories triggers you, I encourage you to turn the video off. And she's just it's like a 30 second long disclaimer. Why can't we just expect, I mean, we just put, they, like they put on the, in the Capitol, they just put the, uh, a trigger warning on like the United States Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. It's like, just, just grow up and expect the world to be like, sometimes there's tough things. By the way, those things are not, should not be tough. It's like, if that's tough, we have way bigger problems on our well, not even that. It's like, well, like, turn the fucking shit off. Like, you're not respond. That that lady's not responsible for somebody else being triggered by her video if they're the ones clicking on it. This is what, like, re- personal responsibility. Like, take ownership of how you feel and what makes you feel bad or good, and decide that for yourself. But to put it on other people, yeah, you know, who are creating content or you know, having conversations to say, like, you made me feel this way. I just, I, you know, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it is a challenging thing. I, I'm glad you bring this up because on, on, on the one hand, I, I am sympathetic to the idea that it's like, well, you know, be compassionate to, you don't know who's listening and someone could be struggling with some eating disorder. And, but it's also like, well, you have a lot of others that are just like kind of jumping in or maybe the person, any number of people who are struggling. It's like you will overcome your struggle by learning these different points of view. But it does become tough. Like as, an, as a this is a I don't know, maybe call me on it if this example doesn't work. But um, we took our kids to Dollywood in, um, uh, in Tennessee. And one of my girls was not tall enough to. Uh, ride on the rides. Now we rigged the system, which is another story. But one of my girls is not tall enough to. That's um, that hood part of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hope that I don't get found out. Um, but uh, the um, but anyway, one of my girls was not tall enough, and and it crossed my mind to uh, and to um, basically tell my the other kids that they can't go on the rides too. And so you know, my wife and I are talking about it and. And Jenny was just like, no, Everly's going to need to learn. Like she can't control her height <laughs> and it's got to happen on her own. And, and so let's not hold the others back. Let's teach her how to be at peace with the fact that some people have different privileges that you do, but we'll make it fun in other ways. And it is this sort of thing of like, I, I do think that like we tried to kind of teach um, Everly to be responsible for herself. Um, but it also was like, uh, teach the other kids, you know, not to shove it in her face. So it was just, it was an interesting illustration, like dealing with sort of so-called equity issues, uh, in my home. 
Right. I think that's so good. I think that is so healthy. I mean, we've, between Rich and I, we have four. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we definitely activate like, just because one's in trouble doesn't mean everybody else has to suffer. Yeah, exactly. And I know like in today's world, I mean, I think kind of what I'm saying might be really controversial and what I'm saying might trigger some people out there. It was like, no, you know, Violet and Sawyer, my other two who were getting on the rides, like they should have been, um, they, they should, they, they should not sort of go out there. They should have been solidarity with their sister. And it's like, well, I don't know. Their sister's going to live a tough life and all of them are going to be exposed to challenges. And we have to tell them now, like you got to find it within yourself to adapt. Um, but then again, I sort of like, negated my entire point because we rigged the system and got Everly, uh, uh, we basically cheated and got her in there, <laughs> but there was a window. There was a window. Where we <laughs> you did. You, so you thought about it and then, and then and I didn't, I, we didn't like sort of buy our way into rigging the system. we like fully just cheated. And so it's, um, I'll be honest about that. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> she was so close. She was so close. And so anyway, we stole one. It was fine. I had a fake ID, you know. I, there we go. By the time I was 21, I was so done. Yeah, like actually... That's the risk of telling Everly, hey, you're going to be personally responsible for what's going to happen. And then now, then when she becomes, you know, when she's 18, 19, she's going to get her fake ID. And be like, you taught me this. <laughs> Right. And then she gets it out of her system and when she's 21, she's on her way to a career. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Exactly. Maybe. But I think it was interesting because I was very timid and um, I think my, my wife is really good about setting expectations and being and, and enforcing those expectations. Um, That's and that's right. She loves you. Um, but yeah, setting those expectations of saying, no, like you, you should be performing this way in school. And I believe that you could do it. So I expect you to do it and being consistent at upholding that standard. Whereas I'm, I'm probably more susceptible to like getting soft. Mm. Yeah, so I, mean, I appreciate that she holds that line because um, yeah. it's needed. It's, it's a better contribution to their future than me being soft on them. And, and that's probably the case with uh, if, if we're using that sort of little story about my home. Um, I, I think that some of those battles are playing out in the entire country. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that it just depends. I'm sure you have the way you were brought up or the way you've experienced life. You're probably more harder on other things than she would be. And then that, yeah. when you create, that's when you come together speaking of values, you know, you come together as a family, as a unit and say, what are our values? And then, yeah. any, and then when you do something, whether it's professionally, personally in your family that, you know, maybe your partner or coworker or whoever isn't happy about, you use the values to facilitate that conversation. Yeah. And even just having a conversation about values, even you can't prescribe them because sometimes you emphasize different values based off where you are in life. Right. Um, you know, so one value might be just supporting one another and being patient. Another value might be like, no, every, every, every person for themselves. Um, or, you know, a more greater emphasis on re resilience, whereas sometimes it might be a greater emphasis on compassion or honor. And, um, and so we, we even just try to explore those. Like, you know, what, at dinner, when we have our dinner, we do, we try to do a round robin of like, okay, what do you guys all love? What did you, what did you do today? What, what made you laugh? And I learned this from the life is good guy. 
like the, those shirts. He said that his mom always had them be like and every night they always had to be grateful for something. It's like what was good. Um, and so we try to do that. We also try to talk about where were you challenged or failed today. And sometimes we'll do a round robin about like, what do you love about this person in your family? And those end up being sort of proxies for values, um, values conversations. That's so funny. We do the same thing. I love it. That's good. You know, um, Ronald Reagan, he had this uh, saying in his uh, farewell address that in America, great change begins at the dinner table. And um, I think that's absolutely true. And a lot of, I think, what the challenges we see today is that there's not that sort of coming together um, conversations, like where everybody's in their own little bubble and they don't have these conversations together. Even families are in bubbles. Um, and so I love that. Of course, you're doing that with, uh, you, you guys are so deep. Like, of course you're deep and fun. So you, you, you throw them both at the dinner table. I love that. Yeah. That and, and like, I get bored, you know, and I want to hear. Yeah. It's like more for my entertainment of anything. Um, so I can personally attest to the tremendous team you have. Do you, utilize the same recruiting standards for employees as you do when analyzing potential members? Ooh. Um, well, that, what the, basically both of the things you asked are evolving right now. So we are in the process for that. And yes, um, we are trying to bring that more into alignment. And so, um, you know, historic, I could speak to bringing it more into alignment, but, um, you know, one, when you, when you are hiring, you're obviously looking for all the sort of relevant skills and, and that sort of thing, but our, our business is evolving. And so that means we're, we're looking for different types of people from that standpoint, but given that it's values in Vino, um, we are looking for people who care about values and a certain type of values. And we are also looking for people who like to have a good time, uh, on the Vino side and not take themselves too seriously, which is a, which is a value, a value in and of itself. But so that is the case, both with members, um, of Alder and with people who, who come on the team. And so I, I, some of the things that like, when you think about our worldview, um, of you know, one at the sort of really macro level of being grateful for and feeling responsible for um, human flourishing and living freely, but then also just like what what's going on in, in the world. Like we want to be, we want to contribute to a free exchange of ideas. We want to uh, contribute to our own sense of kind of self mastery. We want to contribute to to elevating an I- the idea of discourse and, or uh, a character, and so. Um, and in, that requires, I think, a certain type of person. Um, you need people who really care about their personal agency. Jonathan Haidt, the, the NYU professor on ethical leadership, he does a lot on on this stuff, like moral formation. And you know, I know morality is a tough, heavy word, but uh, just go ahead and lean into it. But he does a lot on sort of moral formation and how people think about accountability versus empathy and um, you know hierarchy and, and those types of things. But I think I'm especially interested in how people think about openness to new ideas and other people, how people think about um, uh, the locus of control. Like, are they, is the world happening to them or are they an agent of change in the world? And so a lot of the direction that we're going, uh, how you, how you handle power, how you handle, you know, when you're in a position of power, especially for the members, um, how you think about responsibility. So those are all kind of criteria that we're developing with Alder to evaluate both employees and um, and the members of the community. I love that. And, and it's funny because um, I've met a, 
so many members and I could honestly tell you, I don't know what any or most of them do for a living because it's just not the type of conversations that we're having, oh, which, I is love that. Really, which is really nice. Um, funny story, uh, you know, when Rich and I started dating, I finally told my mom and she was like, oh, like, what does he do? And I was like, I, I, uh. I love that. Uh, he makes wine, but he doesn't make any money off of it. Uh, like I just, it just not, it just wasn't a part of the conversation right away. Um, he's got three kids in private school. I figured he could pay his bills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, that just goes with everybody, you know, like we we're just not, I mean, even it almost makes me feel uncomfortable when someone's like, she has an HR company. I'm like, uh, oh, yes, but like I also, there's like all these other things about me that I think that you would enjoy much more. You know, I'm thinking of a. I, I love. I, first of all, I love that, and I think that means we're onto something. So we we need to keep that right because um, you know it, it. You do when you have a, a community of influential people. Like people tend to want access to that, and uh, you know either ranging for deal flow or just uh, you know Rolodex kind of friend collecting of interesting people, but. And so it is really important that you create one a safe space, and, but but also a space of exploration and connection uh, to build that kind of social capital. But I'm thinking about um, my daughter Violet. She said to me once, um, I was just she, she and I were driving somewhere, and she was, "Daddy, I love that you you have a job that makes a difference." Oh. And I go, "Oh, thank you, Violet." I said, "But a lot of people." Um, make a difference with what they do. Um, you know, I'm trying to, you know, advance certain ideas and, and connect with people and, and, and use that as a vehicle to, to, to make the society and the country better. I said, but like we were driving by, I'm like, like that, we were passing an auto body shop. I go, I'm sure the person who, who owns that and the people who work there are really glad that they could help people go live their lives well. Or, we, you know, the people who, um, you know, she loves sushi. And so it's like, when you go to the sushi restaurant, they're uh, making you better. And so I use this sort of conversation a little bit to kind of teach her about free enterprise and, uh, and capitalism. But also, I think it speaks to some of the things that I think our community, our members try to show up with, which is it's it, there, you know, whether you're kind of CEO of a professional sports team or the CEO of an HR company or a best selling author, it's really what's beneath the surface that. Um, matters the most. And so we, you got to try to surface that with everybody, not just that, you know, wealthy and interesting people, like any, any human being, just what I'm fascinated by what makes people tick. What do they like to do for fun? What do they think about? What are they curious about? Where do they like to go? Um, and so we just, we need more of that. That was one of the things that was remarkable about you when I first met you, it was like, you just went right into like, Oh, what did you talk about values? What do you mean by values? Which values? And I like, I love that. It's, 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 it's so important. It's, it's important to create that space for people to reflect and grow. Like, oh, hmm. And just be better by people crossing paths. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think for, I think it was that, um, I, I'm very conscious about where I spend my money. Mm. Not, not in a shrewd way, but more so in where's like, what is the give on this money? Like, where is it going? What's it going to do? How does it make the world better? And so I felt as a member, just like as employees, I wanted to be aligned with whatever you were trying to accomplish. 
So that way I could continue to be motivated. And, and I mean, I'm motivated. I, I mean, you cut me open. I'm blue and, and gold now. Um, <laughs> especially after Park City. I, I, I felt I, I, maybe b- before that I was not unsure. Um, and I think a lot of people were unsure, but I still felt like I knew more than everybody else because we had that conversation. I knew mm-hmm. what you were trying to accomplish. And so when people came to me of like, what is this? What's going on? I was able to advocate for it. Yeah, well, it means a lot. So thank instead you. Of, yeah. Instead of being another member that was like, I don't know, I'm just going to go and see what happens. You know, I was I was able to advocate and and know and, and provide some type of peace to whoever was asking me the question. And after, you know, I text you, I, I waited a week because I figured you were going to be crazy uh, inundated with messages. But I, I, I was in. I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm in the cult. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the cult. You know, I was I, I, I was I walked away exhausted. Mind good. You. Good. Uh, good. That was earned, by the way. It I mean, was. You, um, I mean, any, any, any business, any organization has to grow and evolve um, to thrive. And, and that's what we, were, we have been going through. Um, but we're also trying to make, play a meaningful role in meaningful and in influential people's lives. And so what we had in Park City in terms of bringing everybody, you know, a couple hundred of our community together to talk about values and talk about the, the ideas of personal responsibility and, and being the change. When you, when you look around, it, whether you're watching or reading the news or you're interacting with people in your neighborhood and you feel like there's division and it's weird and it's disappointing, you know, don't withdraw, don't get upset, just go be that change. And in order for us to kind of bring that through line and conversation in, you know, of lean into it. We need people who are examples that it's not just possible, but it's enjoyable. And you embody that in a big way. Um, people are, you know, they're, uh, what's, I don't know, what's the word? They copy each other. They're mimetic in that way. And so, um, um, and so it's, it, you need examples. And again, I appreciate you being that. I see the change that needs to happen. So I'm going to go be that change. Yeah. Rich calls me the pet. <laughs> Oh, you're such a teacher's pet. I was like, you're just mad I do it better than you do. <laughs> I was like, you better watch that chair seat on the foundation because I'm coming for it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Um, and Rich, you know, is, Rich is awesome too. Speaking of swagger, I mean, you know, Rich is, uh, he's, he's not just, he's a, he's a poet and a warrior uh, for sure. So he has a, he has a way with words. I mean, I got a couple gifts that have some words on them, and I'm like, 